one of the things that I found fascinating about Book 5 was it describes this really extensive portal system connecting all the inner Earth cities with the surface and even off-planet, that this was all around the, the planet, very extensive, but that at the end of the Hyperborean civilization, uh, because there was a downward shift in the planetary consciousness, uh, this extensive portal system that was used all over the planet quite commonly now became uh, much rarer only, and only a few, only those that had the right consciousness or frequency uh, now could travel the portal system. So, uh, yeah, can you just kind of elaborate on exactly how this portal system devolved from being something that was very common and, and used extensively during the Hyperborean civilization. And then after that, it basically began to disappear. Well, I think it would be a sort of a downward spiral of consciousness is what's, uh, what's occurring here. And we have a whole legacy of knowledge that's been lost or downgraded. And, and now in this time that we're living in, it's, uh, it's re-emerging. You're listening to Exopolitics Today with Dr. Michael Sala, your source for the uncensored truth regarding the human, extraterrestrial, global, and political agenda. Click the like button and subscribe to this channel. And now, here's Dr. Michael Sala. It's my great pleasure to welcome Peter Moon back to Exopolitics Today, where we're going to pick off where we left off last time in discussing this incredible Transylvania book series. So welcome, Peter, to the show. Oh, thank you. It's nice to be back with you, Michael. Well, uh, the last time we, we talked, uh, we discussed the earlier books in the series. And just to remind the, the listeners, book one dealt with uh, the protagonists dealing with this incredible discovery of a hall of records at the Bujej Mountains in Romania. And in book two, uh, Transylvania Moonrise, Radu Cinema, the author of the series, describes going to Tibet from a portal in the Apuseni Mountains of Romania, where he meets a goddess, Machandi, for the first time. And he's given a parchment written by a famous Tibetan Buddhist monk, Guru Rinpoche. And so book two discusses all of that. And then Book four, which is what we're going to discuss today, and book five, well, book four kind of picks up from where book two left off in terms of this, this parchment that was picked up from Tibet that was given to Radu Sima from this goddess. And book four kind of deals with the, the parchment, the translation, and the publication of that parchment. So, Peter... Uh, just walk us through what, why it was this parchment was so important for the Transylvania book series. Well, the parchment, as they say, as you said, was, was given to Radu by a blue goddess, Mashande, in the uh, Himalayas. And they had arrived there through space translation, which is a different way of saying teleportation, space translation. And... This was facilitated by miraculous circumstances. But the, the bottom line is Radu was introduced to this goddess Mashande. She gave him this parchment. 
and his job was to take it back and translate it. Now, the emergence of this parchment is significant in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition because Guru Rinpoche was the uh, actual founder of Tibetan Buddhism. And he had either, well, he scribed these, I say scribed these manuscripts. They were actually written by his, his secretaries or assistants and they were deposited in certain locations on the planet and their emergence would coincide with major events on the earth. It's, it's supposed to signify an enlightenment of, of occurrences on the earth. Uh, and when one of my friends who was very close to the uh, Lama in Woodstock had read this, he said, this is one of these documents called a, a Tertan or a, uh, uh, is it a Tertan? Uh, I think it's a Tertan, or the Tertan is the person who receives the manuscript, a Terma, it's a Terma. And the Tertan is the one who, you know, gets the manuscript and does something with it, which in this case was Radu. Uh, I became the translator of it into the English language. But Radu is the Tertan of, and the Terma. Now, when my friend read this, he thought it was very significant in the Buddhist tradition. And he arranged a meeting with me with the, the head Lama in Woodstock, whose, whose also his name was Rinpoche, which is not an uncommon name in the Tibetan tradition. But he was, 93, was his 93rd birthday. And I was ushered in to meet him while Hundreds of people were waiting to see him with expensive gifts. He couldn't see them all, but he saw me because I fit in with this. I was aligned with this tradition, although I'm not religiously or philosophically a part of it. I'm doing the work in alignment with it. So that that's a, a testament to the authenticity of it, if you will, in terms of the Buddhist tradition. Now, this uh, Tertan or this terma rather is brought to uh, brought back home to to Romania, where Radu is now going to have to translate it. But in the meantime, he's being sent to the United States to participate in a remote viewing program because there is a liaison between Department Zero, the Intelligence Department of Romania, with the United States. And he goes there and he uh, participates in it. And according to his accounts, becomes very successful and shows some real demonstration of this ability to remote view. And as a digression, that's not really mentioned in the book, uh, the, the subject of remote viewing has is, is been very, uh, sensationalized and abused by people who have misused it and misused the whole idea of selling courses in it and whatnot, where people do not really go into it is the Tibetan tradition of remote viewing, which they don't call remote viewing. But the Tibetans have been in this, involved in this since time immemorial. So most of what people hear about it is connected with 
you know, the CIA or, or whatever organization and using Scientology techniques and all this sort of things. Uh, but it takes, it takes away from, as they say, the Buddhist aspect. Uh, and Radu has his own, I guess what you'd say, expertise in this field. And that's sort of where the book begins. And there's some drama between the Romanians and the Americans with regards to this program. But when he he's called back uh, to Romania, he's called back to Romania while he's on this program, and he's supposed to meet with Dr. Zen. Dr. Zen is the, uh, the doctor, paranormal doctor who, who mentored Radu's superior, Caesar Brad, the head of Department Zero, and he, he kind of stewarded Caesar as he was growing up. And then we find out that Dr. Zen, who's there on behalf of Red China in an exchange program with Romania, is really a closet Tibetan Lama. So, of course, he reveals this to Radu, but Ripa, his name is Ripa Sundi, and Ripa Sundi is going to help him translate the manuscript. Now, this is an awkward uh, situation. Well, the, because he can read the ancient uh, Tibetan. He is skilled in it. So this script was written, you know, around, I think, 400 AD, if I'm not mistaken. So the language was different, uh, but he can read it. And he can translate it because he speaks Tibetan and he speaks English. He does not, and his assistant, described as the beautiful Shin Li, she also speaks English. But they do not, according to what Radu has written to me personally, they do not speak Romanian. They speak English and Tibetan. So it's very interesting that this book gets translated from Tibetan into English to Radu, who then translates it into Romanian, which comes to me, and then I have to have it translated out of Romanian and into English. This is what I'm saying, you know? So it's like, it goes Tibetan, English, Romanian, English. <laughs> and that's, nobody's gonna really realize that because it, because I asked him specifically, uh, but whatever, it's it's just an interesting side note. So um, he's set with this task of translating the manuscript, and the manuscript it, it involves a lot of back and forth between Radu and uh, Ripa Sunday, the Lama's assistant Shin Li, and a lot of philosophical discussions of theirs, which are always, uh, to me, interesting. But there is a lot of drama in the background of the uncovering of this manuscript. And because it, it does, the manuscript just doesn't appear and gets translated. It appears simultaneously to goings on in the world. And whatever drama was going on between Department Zero and the Americans exacerbates when the Americans are discovering 
at the same time as this manuscript open, uh, appears, this huge antenna, it's an antenna-like structure, appears in Antarctica. It emerges like the ice is melting around it. And it's this bizarro. Before we get uh, to that incident, maybe it'd be just good for the listener to kind of like appreciate why this manuscript or this parchment was so significant. Uh, because book four came out, I guess the Romanian edition came out in 2009 and the English edition in, in 2013. And the, the parchment in the book series that describes the significance in the parchment in terms of like changing or having a major impact in planetary consciousness. So has there been that? I mean, have, for example, you mentioned a Tibetan Buddhist that you told about your efforts to translate the parchment from Romanian into English. So has there been kind of like interest uh, by Tibetan Buddhists? Because if this is a, a manuscript or from the founder of Tibetan Buddhism, Guru Rinpoche, wouldn't the Tibetans uh, orders be all over this? One would like to think so, but I haven't seen any evidence of that. Of course, I'm not in that stream. But what I would also say, the Tibetan, uh, you have to look at the Tibetans much like the Vatican. Because like say, if you had some great discovery of a genuine artifact, well, I, I will give you an example. I met an incredible healer when I was at Shasta. Uh, his story is incredible, Dennis Adams. And he, he worked as an exorcist at the Vatican. He was very gifted. He was born a full hermaphrodite, had his female genitals cut out of him. It was trauma, but he had his own contacts with God. Dennis is a very interesting character. But basically, to make long and short of what he said, he ended up working as, he was a very high level healer and exorcist. He was a Catholic priest. He worked in the Vatican uh, by special assignment. He said that he was allowed by Pope Paul to see a manuscript written in the hands, written, scribed by Christ himself. Now, whether or not that's true is beside the point. We've never even heard of such a thing. But he was allowed to see it as a Vatican insider. And when I say insider, he wasn't part of the administration. He was talent. He had talent. So they used him. They eventually excommunicated him because he wouldn't do their bidding. He, you know, they want him to do this and do that. And he wasn't, he wasn't a monkey on a string. So he refused to do it and they excommunicated him. But he said that he was allowed to see a manuscript written in the hands of Jesus. Now, there's a, a story that went with that. He did I did ask him what was in it. Was it anything new and earth shattering? He says, no. It would base, but he refused to say what it was based upon his agreement with Pope Paul, which he honored. But what was what's significant in this uh, perspective I'm talking about is that this was. If the Vatican believes they have a manuscript that's written in the hands of Jesus with charcoal and parchment, why do they hide it? Why do they tell us? There is no proof, real proof. This is proof that, that he existed, or at least corroboration, and they hide it. You see, they hide the truth, and they share it with quote-unquote special people. So I would say that 
any religion, especially Tibetan Buddhism, is going to be similarly inclined because they become institutionalized. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me if they, it's not like they're going to get on the bandwagon and uh, do things. Uh, there are traditions within, secret traditions within that uh, institution. Uh, so, so be it. They don't teach the outer people the inner teachings. That's a fact. So I, I don't have much enthusiasm for anything happening in that direction. But, but carry on with your question. Okay, so with the parchment itself, I mean, it discusses five initiations, but the overall theme seems to be that there's an emphasis on things like um, the supremacy of love and aligning one's will with the divine will in order to achieve freedom of empowerment, which is kind of very, when I when I read that, I thought, well, this is kind of, it's more along the Indian or the Christ um, tradition as opposed to what I recall of, of Buddhism, which is all about renunciation of all desire and eschewing pleasures and all of that. But this was, this parchment seemed to kind of like emphasize a more, well, a more kind of Christian or Hindu approach of aligning with will, divine will, and love? Well, yes, and I, I would say that with regards to Buddhism, the, the more I read about Buddhism, the more flexibility and I guess what you call non, uh, I don't say non-traditional, but it's not necessarily what you think. There's a lot of like say most people think in very closed regimented fashions when it comes to whether it be Christianity or Buddhism or most anything. There are a lot of loopholes and I don't know that loophole is the best word, but flexibilities where you think it's all about denial, but it's there's also acceptance. So you want a, a ratio of it. Uh, so it's sometimes challenging to uh, to pigeonhole, but what I was going to do, I'm, I'm trying to find the uh, the translation because I had I had to uh, translate it in back into English, the uh, the part what the parchment actually said, and I, I think that comes at the end of the book. Um, trying to find it here, uh, and and of course the translation is is rather simple advice. Uh, but it's good advice. And not easily found here. Uh, but it, it gives common sense um, interpretations of. Um, it had a lot to do with vibration and you know what where what you think is is what you what you get so so to speak um well you know that is significant um because it seemed that the department zero was was very interested in this in this kind of uh, tibetan parchment and spiritual evolution so you know the, the question people would have is you know why would a paranormal department set up by the romanian intelligence service that is studying uh, the Hall of Records in Bujeji and working with the uh, US on a number of esoteric topics be so interested in 
kind of like the the spiritual enlightenment information in a Tibetan parchment? Well, I don't know how interested other people were so much, but I know it was an assignment given to Radu. And the whole Radu was picked by the Lama to do this in book two. He's picked Transylvania Muna. He's picked. And then he's brought to Tibet. Now, the fact of the matter is, this association with the Lama endears him to Department Zero, which he's not yet official member of, because they can't find the Lama in Department Zero. So they, they go to Radu, and Radu sort of becomes ingratiated into Department Zero, who he already has worked with, but he slowly is becomes a member of them. Now, it's mostly a military intelligence organization. And to my understanding, he's an artist or musician who, who was brought into this to tell the story. And he is sort of brought in, given the, the security clearance, and he kind of comes in from left field, so to speak. Uh, but he has the task with this translation. And this gives him a chance to work with the Lama in the offices of Department Zero, where it's, it's sort of expanding his own awareness. Um, and the, the, um, the language that is used is very flowery. It's very, I mean, the Tibetan language, it's, it's just very flowery language. So I, uh, I'm trying to see where I reduced it to, I think it's in the epilogue here, where I reduced it to common English without all the, all the flowers. Uh, here it is. And I, I can share it right now. Because it, it, it's in the course of the book, but the information isn't really central or focused upon. It's more the experience surrounding the parchment and the lessons in the parchment. And the parchment offers five precepts when we strip down all the flowery language. Compassion, and here's where you identify with Christianity. There is a divine source of compassion in this universe and we need to recognize it and link to it. We need to recognize it and link to it. And I would say right there, see, when, you think of Christianity, I do not equate Christianity with compassion in my own mind, because of all the horrors that have been, have been done in the name of Christianity and all the misdirection. Although you're quite right, the essence of, of Christianity is to teach compassion and love. And, and, and so it's, uh, he says, we need to recognize it and link to it. So in many cases in the past, Christianity is being not recognized as compassion, but as something else. And we've all experienced that, whether we're Christians or not. So compassion is very important. Um, two, all we are is a result of what we have thought. That's very Buddhist. What you think is what you get. This is also representative of the principle of quantum affinity or the law of affinity. So when we think of something, we get it. If we think of danger, we get danger. If we think of love, we get love. Um, so it's called quantum rapport, quantum resonance, 
okay, where your mind goes is where your energy goes. So let's, uh, we're gonna be successful, we attract success. We're gonna fail, we attract failure. That's common sense, people know. However, in both cases of compassion and uh, thinking, people can always improve in this direction. No matter how good we are, we can always think better thoughts and be more compassionate. Three is synchronicity. There are no coincidences. When events or experiences coincide outside the ordinary bounds of probability, this is a meaningful coincidence and there is an intention behind it. And of course, there's a lot of synchronicity that occurs in this book. Um, it happens to be a topic I write about, but this is from the perspective of major events occurring, although they're kind of relegated to the, the secret government world. Uh, number four, of these five precepts is vibration. Everything is connected by vibration. This is a very key uh, and perhaps understated precept here because when we get into the, the next book, Inside the Earth, it's all about vibrational frequency and how you enter the corridors of the inner earth is by your vibration. So if we were not in a similar vibration, we couldn't interact and talk with each other. Uh, so, and, and of course, everything in these books is vibration because they're talking about the inner earth in Shambhala. And so you're getting the vibration of Shambhala when you read, particularly the fifth book, because they're talking about it. They're giving, like when you start talking about something, the vibration starts emerging and it emerges through the pages of the book. And that's kind of fascinating because, hey, wow, this is a whole vibration that I don't get from most other things I read. Uh, so number five is will, aligning yourself with your own higher will and the divine source of creation. The higher will or the divine source of creation is inside of you. So that's aligning yourself with basically what you're supposed to be doing. Your higher will, your higher self, your higher aspects. Um, and, and th those are the five precepts, but what happens as they're being translated, as they're being discovered and translated, sort of becomes the important part of the book. Right, it's um, those five precepts. I mean, just, I mean, they have so much in common with other traditions, as you mentioned, uh, the, the Christian and uh, the uh, Buddhist um, and, and the, the aligning oneself with the divine will while well, you can find that in the Bhagavad Gita and in the Quran too. So, you know, all the world's major religions are kind of like uh, echoed in those five precepts, those uh, in the in this Tibetan parchment. So certainly it, it is a very profound document. And it, it does seem to almost be like a preparation for book five. You mentioned book five a few times and yes, it, it is kind of like to be able to get into the greater esoteric truths that are hidden, to be able to go into the inner earth and to use these portals. It's all about raising what one's uh, frequency. And so those five precepts seem to kind of lay the foundation for that. So, so let's talk about uh, book five now, the, the inner earth. Well, I, uh, I, think what, I think I should touch on something first about sure. what, the events of book four that are very important. Uh, the, because as I was saying, this antenna emerges 
from, and it, it's very much relates to where I'm going in, in Romania this summer and where hopefully you'll be with me next summer. But this antenna that emerges simultaneously as the, as the, the document is discovered, it's this huge antenna uh, in Antarctica. I think it's Makor, near the Makor base, I think, M-A-C-O-R, if I'm not mistaken. And it emerges and the ice is melting. They don't know what the hell it is, the, the Americans. But they finally figure out that there's a signal. Uh, there's a relation of signals going between this antenna transceiver to uh, the moon of uh, Jupiter's moon Europa and area in Transylvania and an area in Mount McKinley. Mount McKinley, which is a, near what's called the Alaskan Triangle, uh, where weird stuff is supposed to happen in the Alaskan Triangle. Now, where this book focuses on is Transylvania, because they say there's this spot in Transylvania and it causes the Americans to look deeper into what went on in this specific spot in Transylvania, uh, in the very area where I visit. Now, when I say the very area I visit, I'm talking about a valley that is approximately seven miles long with curves and furrows and this and that. And it's called the Valley of the Golden Thrones. It's called the Valley of the Golden Thrones. And you kind of get a hint as to why in this particular book because it, this is the biggest, at the time at least, was considered the biggest state secret in Romania. And the Americans are outraged that it's being hidden from them by the Romanians. Now, the reason it was hidden by Department Zero is because they knew too little bit about it. They knew very little bit about this spot in Transylvania. And what had happened was, the story is told, there was a professor called Professor Constantine, and he is doing archaeological digs in this area. There's plenty of archaeology. I mean, you could be an archaeologist could dig forever in this area because it's ancient culture, buried upon ancient culture upon ancient culture. So he's doing these digs, and it's this is after communism was over. So they're digging up this stuff and they're gonna secure the, the tools for the night with the contractor who's working with them. And he's with this contractor's son. And this little opening, they find this opening as they're putting away their tools and they start to look into it and they see that there's a whole chamber or room and they go down there. When they go down inside, they say it's bigger, it's expansive, it's, it's huge. They go into a region that's just literally infinite. Not infinite, but it's it's a huge underground cavern. And at this point, I have to wonder if they're in the physical plane or if they're in another dimension or there is a portal. It doesn't really matter. They're having an experience. And they go, I think it's explained like they're going deep into the earth. But this is like solid. It's not like an interdimensional experience. But as they begin to go, they begin to see gold and more gold, deeper threads of gold, 
then you know gold and quartz quartz will appear with gold beautiful crystals of quartz and it gets deeper and then this is an ancient i think they see ruins of an ancient civilization but they go deeper and deeper until finally they're in tunnels of pure gold now geologically it's no great secret that there's huge deposits of pure gold underneath this area this is not a secret it's one of the most rich uh greatest treasures of Romania and particularly Transylvania where it's located and Canadian mining companies and people have tried to get at it. There was a huge protest to stop and it's been protected. Uh, the gold was, was mined by the Romans, 200 tons. But as Caesar says, they barely scratched the surface of the amount of gold here. Now this gold, gold is the best conductor of electricity there is. It's also a conductor of super consciousness. So it raises the consciousness to be here, which means if you go with us next year, you'll have an experience of consciousness expansion. Uh, so when we, so, so as he goes and goes deeper into this gold uh, tunnels, they come to a golden bed. It's, they, it's not a bed, but they call it, it's like a bed, it's a platform and it has these script carved into it. And the script is, is puzzling. They eventually translate it. They take it, they take pictures of the script uh, and they take it to universities, multiple universities who translate the script and translate it as um, KR space IO, space and then it says uh zalmos s-a-l-m-o-s and okay so once they have that they have the um the challenge of what does that mean and the way the linguists or experts in cryptography or whatever that they consult the universities translated as here is forever the worlds unite on this golden bed now it was my impression that this bed because it was something you could lie down in was like a place where ancient dacians might priests might indulge in what we know as remote viewing today because it's a bed of super consciousness they put their head but this is where the world's here is forever now the kr represents chronos time io is a symbol for the divinity as in 10 uh, there's other symbolizations for iao or io which identifies with with gods in different three forms it could also refer to the 10 dimensions or the 10 world that we live in based on decimals system or 10. Zalmos was something that the translator I had hired noticed, as did I, but Radu didn't mention it. Zalmos is a transliteration of Zalmoxis, the patron god of Romania. So Zalmoxis is is the trans the, the man who transcended into a god, the patron god of Romania. 
So it says, this could be interpreted as uh, the divinity of time, Zalmoxis, here is forever, the worlds unite. This is where we can call this the fifth dimension. We can call it the sixth and seventh dimensions, the ninth and the tenth dimensions, these dimensions where they unite, things unite in different ways in these different dimensions. But so it's like a hot point, a center point. Now they find this, but they keep going. Professor Constantine and the, the contractor said, they finally get to a golden room with golden thrones that are for like giant people, like about nine feet high. And there's incredible hieroglyphics behind them in gold that aren't translated, but they, they have all this diatribe and it's, it's stunning. And there's a big, I believe a big golden table. I think there's a golden table. I don't might be dubbing that in, but it's just an amazing place. And it's called the Golden Throne. Now, this begins to maybe explain why this area is called the Valley of the Golden Thrones. And I had a very interesting adventure to find the Valley of the Golden Thrones, which I can talk about in a minute. We, we still have time, we can get into the other book. But the, um, so, so this, uh, Golden Thrones has a big portal near it. It's a like a like an elliptical pit. And when you look into it, it's like looking into a whole scape of stars, like looking out into the cosmos. But there's a big planet that's orange with white clouds. You can see the earth, you see green, blue with white clouds, maybe some green. This one you saw orange with white clouds. And the contractor's son is looking down and it's sort of hypnotized and he falls down into it. Professor Constantine becomes very frightened and he goes back. He runs back, he's afraid. And he goes back and he begins to animatedly, excitedly, panically reporting what he saw. And the Securitate comes all the way from Bucharest to see him. Before he's visited by Securitate, Caesar Brad is tipped off and comes and interviews him. And he learns the story I've just told you. And he writes it in detail. But Securitate comes and gets him, takes him to Bucharest, and he is never heard from again. He's an archaeologist. So that's the end of Professor Constantine. And this information was put in a briefcase with all sorts of security. And we go from one agency to another with this report in it. And this was Romania's deepest state secret, at least at the time. And this was being hidden from the Americans, not really hidden. It's like, what do we tell? We don't really know anything about this area. Now, before press, when, after Professor Constantine disappeared, uh, Securitate brought some um, cement trucks in to fill it up. But the people, when the cement trucks went crazy, the equipment went crazy, and it left Securitate filling the hole themselves. And nobody knows where this hole was. It's, it's you know, a state secret. Now, the whole reason for this is the Americans are upset. Why doesn't this happen in our country? Why is it happening in this little pipsqueak country, Romania? 
And there's a whole diatribe of how the history of Romania has been obscured. The language has been obscured. The alphabet has been obscured. And the whole character assassination of Romania has been done to hide all of the many incredible truths from there. They made up a word called protochronism, which means we came first. It's to explain Romania's complex about having come first. They said, this is a small country that has a complex. So we call it protochronism, saying we came first, where in fact they did come first. And there's been an effort to hide this sociologically, academically, and whatnot. That's a whole other story we won't go into. But uh, so I did find out in my travels that there is a professor, was a professor Constantine. I said, but he says, you know, uh, the guy who told me said, it's not so amazing because how many archeologists are around there that are named Constantine? Well, everybody's named Constantine in Romania, I joke, but yeah. So he said, this is where he lived. He points to the house where he lived. Uh, so it, it, it at least seemed authentic. Uh, I don't know that he lived in that house, but I was told that he did. And somebody else I know told me that he did. So there's a legend and this guy disappeared. Now, uh, when I actually was being shown an area in Romania, when I was in the mountains, the guide pointed and says, that is the Valley of the Golden Thrones. I said, oh, you mean like in the book? He goes, yeah, but it's called the Valley of the Golden Thrones. So, so this lady, Vonda Osman, heard this and she says, Peter, we have to go back next year. So she organized a tour with me helping her and we went back the following year in 2013. And we went, this was the date of the big biorhythm, the 10 year biorhythm from the Montauk story. Next year is the 20 year biorhythm. And this was a very special event because I met my wife on that biorhythm, but I was seeking the Valley of the Golden Thrones. And, and the, the tour guy who showed me the year before he showed up drunk. It was a, it was a big fiasco, and Vonda was very unhappy with him. But he ended up coming back, and there was this, he started talking to us, and it was going very sour. And I started asking him about the Valley of the Golden Thrones, and it didn't make any sense. He says, "You're in it." I said, "What do you mean you're in it? I'm on this venture to see the Valley of the Golden Thrones." And I said, "No, last year, I said you pointed down into the valley." And you showed the valley and you said, that's the Valley of the Golden Thrones. Do you remember? He goes, yes. I said, where is it? He says, you're in it right now. Oh, so it was up there. He goes, yeah. So here I'm looking for the Valley of the Golden Thrones and I was in it. I was at the Cotizo Hotel. Now the Valley of the Golden Thrones is actually a long extension that is just, and I, I've, I've seen it from a high point. It's the whole area. It's at least seven miles long. So where is this specific spot in that valley? I do not know. I okay, believe- well, so let's move on to, to book five now where it, it does focus on the inner earth and in particular, this second tunnel from the Bujaj mountains. And this book five was published in 2017 in Romania and then translated into English and released in 2019. And it involves this 
complex system of tunnels and portals that crisscross all over the all over the earth. So it's it's really startling information, and it and it goes into great depth into the extent of this underground world. So, you know, just to begin with, uh, can you kind of like give us some some background about this kind of uh, underground tunnel system and portal complex that's described in book five? Well, yes. And of course, the, I must state that there was a long hiatus between the book I just, just finished talking about and this new book. Um, in fact, uh, my publisher, Radu's publisher, also my publisher in Romania, said that he was very concerned that Radu had, he hadn't heard from Radu. He disappeared. Now, Radu in his letters to me had said that Caesar had gone to become an ambassador. He wasn't around anymore. He became an ambassador to the inner earth. And of course, this was a very kind of odd thing to say. And then the next thing we know, Radu disappeared. He misses Caesar very much. And what, what had happened is, I, what does he really mean, inner earth? Well, there were beings in the inner earth and Caesar was going in there and Radu was eventually allowed to go in there and visit this. Now, he does this through the complex in the Buchej Mountains. There's the first tunnel, which we talked about in the last transmission, which went to Egypt, the book Mystery of Egypt. This one is called the second tunnel and this goes inside the earth. And there uh, he describes the tunnel as more like a crystal device that where he's actually going through into another dimension. It's, and even though he does go into another dimension, he still ends up in the physical realm of the earth as we know it. He describes, and there's a, a very precise scientific refutation for the idea that the earth is a core of molten lead. And he disputes that theory, tears it apart by something explaining the Cavendish experiment, which all scientists assume based upon the Cavendish experiment that the earth is the way they think it is. And it's not because it's not even a science. They're making a non-scientific assumption and presenting it as science. So he destroys that argument very conclusively. And then he goes on to say the experience as you go into the inner earth and he talks about how plant life can exist there, how there can be substitutes for what we know as the sun and that give off heat and give off light and the plants and animals that exist there are not as abundant as what we have above the earth, but they do exist and there can be a civilization there. And there is one underneath uh, the ancient city of Tomis, which is called Tomasis. And Tomis is not really, it's an ancient city that is now more or less in the area of Constanza on the Black Sea. And there is a I did discover a cave you can go there where there's an entire labyrinth, which you can get lost in. Uh, it's dangerous to go unless you have a, a cord you can take with you so you don't get lost. I've only been in it about a hundred yards, but underneath that is the, the inner earth city of Tomasis. But those are people living in this dimension. 
there are certain areas where you go where you change your vibrational frequency and you go into another realm, one of them being Apelos, which is in Transylvania. And he shows a whole diagram. I don't know if you can show diagrams while we're talking of, of where he shows the kind of layout of the inner earth and all the different tunnels and whatnot. Oh, we'll insert the diagram during the editing phase. Okay, that would be a good idea. So uh, it's a fascinating account of an entire civilization or civilizations that are down there. And they're having a, a dialogue uh, with different beings. And it's, Radu is being introduced to a whole new world. And that the core of the earth and the consciousness of the earth is all in the earth. We are sort of like um, the, I don't know, parasites living on top of the world. We're not the, the inner stuff where, you know, the surface beings are on the outside. The real core intelligence of the earth is inside the earth with real consciousness. So in, in the diagram, it, it shows um, the, these caves directly underneath these surface cities in Romania. And then you have uh, Tomasus and Apelos uh, underneath uh, at, at differing depths, so Tomasus just above the, the, the magma, the flowing magma. And it shows these dotted lines. And then it shows uh, just kind of like a wiggly lines that are connected. So, you know, the caves and the dotted lines, uh, you know, how do, what does all that represent? I mean, are, are the caves things that you can just literally walk? And then the dotted lines represent kind of like uh, technologies to get you from one place to be. And, and the portal system, the, does the portal system, for example, connect you from Apelos to Tamasis, or is that just you have to get onto a shuttle to travel between the cities? Well, he does, he does get in a shuttle to get to Apelos. And I suppose there's different ways. And some of the tunnels are physical and some of them are not. But in Chocolabina Cave, where I'm going uh, next month, one of my friends who went there, he talked about one of his friends disappeared, but then he came back. He said it was disturbing. The guy disappeared for a while and came back and it made no sense. The implication is that he went into another realm or another dimension. Now, that's, so it's like when you're in these caves, there is the predisposition or possible predisposition to travel into another vibrational frequency. And this is what the whole book is about. He talks about Admiral Byrd seeing what he saw because he's going into a world of, ad, of different vibrational frequency. And then he comes out and is, it, it doesn't make for 100% coherence because it's like he can't take you back and show you his mastodons or whatever. So one has to be attuned to it. And, and that's part of the consciousness that Radu was gaining or experience is being exposed to it. And you know, it's, it's, the whole question becomes, where does the physical meet the non-physical? And that, that becomes the challenge. But I could also say there's more than one way to skin a cat. There's all these different Sometimes it's technology. Sometimes it's just by walking through. And even when he goes to one portal in Yosemite, uh, there's no 
technology at all. It's just passing through a portal. And that's that was unique. So that tells us that all of the above is applicable. It, it could be done through sound, through technology or whatnot. There's, mm -hmm. it, it's- Can, can what, you just what, explain, just explain uh, with these underground cities uh, under Romania, how they are the kind of like redoubts or the escape points of the of earlier civilizations and and how does that relate to the Dacians uh, fleeing the Romans uh, just before the that's conquest? a very important thing because I, I learned long ago that um, there are are historical stories of ancient people disappearing in Romania different parts of Romania uh, particularly in uh, near uh, Capidava, where we have the Atlanticron camp, and also in Chaklavina. There were huge masses of people that just disappeared suddenly. And the implication is that they went underground and escaped into the underground. And Radu gives a whole uh, discussion of that, not specifically about those locations, but how people uh, abandoned the invasion of the Roman Empire by going inward and leaving, not, okay, let the Romans have what's on top and we'll go inward and take as many as we can with us. Uh, this is, you know, this is the relevancy of it, the, 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 the stories of it. And, and of course, Radu does definitely talks about it and whether they're technological portals or otherwise, I think it depends. You know, the priests are supposed to know secrets. Um, whether that involves technology, how it involves technology would depend upon the situation and circumstances. But this is a repeating pattern, right? I mean, all around the world, you have instances where civilizations on the surface of the planet whether it's to escape invasion, whether it's to escape coming cataclysm, uh, peoples somehow find a way into the inner earth and just relocate entire civilizations. And this seems to be something that has happened all over the world and that these like underground cities that are in Romania, you, you have similar underground cities all over Europe and around the world. So, yes, so it would seem. And he also talks about there being trading going on be between the people of Apelos and, and, the, and the surface world. Whereas they buy goods from us and they give us goods. I don't really know, it's, it's kind of obscure. And he says that there are people walking around certain areas of Romania, which they actually are inner earth citizens, but they don't, you're not gonna know it. Uh, they're just gonna, they're not going to reveal themselves. He does talk about that. Um, so it's, it's a whole hidden culture, which it reveals itself to those who need to know or should know. One of the things that I found fascinating about book five was it describes this really extensive portal system connecting all the inner earth cities with the surface and even off planet that this was all around the, the planet, very extensive, but that at the end of the Hyperborean civilization, 
uh, because there was a downward shift in the planetary consciousness, uh, this extensive portal system that was used all over the planet quite commonly now became uh, much rarer only, and only a few, only those that had the right consciousness or frequency uh, now could travel the portal system. So, uh, yeah, can you just kind of elaborate on exactly how this portal system devolved from being something that was very common and, and used extensively during the Hyperborean civilization. And then after that, it basically began to disappear. Well, I think it would be a sort of a downward spiral of consciousness is what's, uh, what's occurring here. And we have a whole legacy of knowledge that's been lost or downgraded. And, and now in this time that we're living in, it's, uh, it's re-emerging. And, and I, I mean, I, I don't know what more to say about it historically other than that, but that these people are a lot like, it's like the best part of us has been preserved beneath the earth. What it would, what's also very important to point out is he says that all planets are conscious entities. The planet itself is a conscious entity and it emerges out of a black hole in the center of the celestial body. And then as it emerges, it goes through different gestation periods or creation periods, but the people inside the earth are more representative of the consciousness than say the people who are outside the earth. They're still part of it, but all the planets have consciousness inside of them. And we can presume similarly related tunnel systems with, is it the same order of pe people or whatnot? I can't say he doesn't really talk about that, but um, you have, um, let's say this, a lot more space to cover that we don't know about. So we've, we've learned in the last 50 years that mankind has been very regimented in how it thinks. And it's become less, much less regimented in how it thinks over my lifetime. Uh, sometimes these unregimented thoughts are incorrect, but there's still, there's not this regimented thinking, it's, it's this way or the highway. It's, you know, uh, the church's way or the highway. People think and this is also a fact of life that there's so much about the inner earth that we do not know. For example, there's more fresh water within the earth than there is salt water on the surface of the earth. Uh, so there's all sorts of fascinating things. And, and this book opens the door to the, to the consciousness of saying, wow, this is quite some place that we uh, have not explored. And Radu is this unique individual who gives a very cohesive, comprehensive discussion of it. Like anything I've read about the inner earth kind of flakes out. This has much more meat to it. It has much more meat. It's coherent. It is mysterious. And it's even- yeah, I, I agree. It's, yeah. it's very detailed and it, uh, it's, it's very, um, comprehensive in explaining 
facets of the of the inner earth and how it interacts with the with the surface. So one of the kind of uh, examples that's given uh, that marks this kind of shift from a, a time when the portal system on the surface was quite extensive and open and used by by many to it kind of pretty much shutting down with the degradation of planetary consciousness was the city of Troy. That Troy was named as the last city of the Hyperborean civilization. And, and with not so much the destruction of Troy, but it was more the disappearance of Troy, that that's when the consciousness of humanity pretty much sunk, you know, sunk down you know, to that point where the portal system no longer widely accessible and used it's just simply disappeared and 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 troy as a city also just disappeared kind of like kind of like how the mayan the mayans disappeared so similarly the the, Tro the trojans uh, disappeared so that i found to be a very fascinating example and you know, it kind of matches the little that we know of hyperborea as a civilization that was discussed by herodotus in the ancient uh, Greek texts that, uh, yeah, this was known to be a civilization that existed. And then all of a sudden it just kind of disappeared along with Troy, just no more mention of it. Exactly. And the whole legacy of Troy, which means three, like Trey, Troy. We also have the Thracian civilization, which is the civilization that occupied the Balkan Peninsula up to Romania, the Thracians. Uh, Troy, Trey, Trey, Troy. It's like it's right there in the word. Uh, but you will find the the what do they call it? The eternal flame of Rome was taken from Troy by by religious tradition in the Roman religion. Troy is a reinvention of you know the Aeneid, Aeneas escaping Troy and starting the Roman civilization as we knew it, with all the trappings of Troy but in a new, new, new and quote unquote improved religion. So uh, yes. And then of course, Rome has its own underground that go beyond the catacombs. But yeah, underground, Troy had its own underground. Yeah, and, and then of course, I think it's the, I, I don't know if it's in this book or the Forgotten Genesis book, which talks about the disappearance of the Mayans and the, and the Trojans. And other it's, it's very interesting because it kind of exp helps explain uh, the idea you know, that you discussed in book four, how the Romanians kind of give primacy to their language and say that that was the original language, um, that kind of the Latin languages are a derivation of Romanian as opposed to the common conception that it's the other way around. Because if, if uh, the Romania... And, and that kind of Thracian area is the remnants of the, of the Trojan civilization. And that as, uh, as is described uh, in the Aeneid that the, this Trojan warrior Aeneas escaped with some other Trojans to Rome, set up an outpost there. And that became the beginning of, of this Roman civilization. Romulus and Remus were, were the kind of descendants of this of these Trojans, you you can that they carried with them the language and the culture, so that would mean that that would actually substantiate what what is described in Book Four that that the Latin languages 
that evolved in, in, in Rome were actually a derivation from Trojan or from this Thracian civilization that, that actually had to flee, that some of its remnants fled to Rome uh, about 1,000 well, BC. Exactly, exactly. But you see, the thing is, Latin, as we know it, mostly from the church, is a, I guess what you call a written scholarly language. It was never really a spoken, as they speak it, it wasn't a spoken language. What they spoke in Rome was vulgar Latin. And vulgar Latin is not much different than Romanian. I mean, there are going to be some differences. But my, the proof is, and my wife is living proof, Romanians can understand all the Romance languages. They can understand them very easily. They can learn Spanish, they can learn French, they can learn Italian, uh, but it doesn't go the other way around. The Italians and Spanish can't pick up Romanian like that. There are some similarities, but uh, so, so it's like, it is a mother language. And, uh, and of course the Romanians know that because they understand you know, what it is. And there's quite a scholarly argument for it in the book, Secret Parchment. It, it's very scholarly uh, and, and not, not as exciting as some of the other stuff, but it's, it's very important and very relevant. But, now, as far as traveling into the inner earth, I mean, we have the conception that, well, you know, the earth is, what is it, 8,000 miles in diameter. So if you travel, to the inner earth and kind of like go down you, you you kind of travel in a linear way 100 miles 200 miles a thousand miles 1500 it's all done linearly and, and if you have the right technology you can actually do this but in the book it describes that it's actually not a linear journey at all that it's actually uh, a, a journey in consciousness that it, you travel the deeper you go you move from kind of third density physicality into kind of like fourth density etheric world. So essentially the technology wouldn't work. It would just stop working. So you can't go into the, into the kind of inner earth beyond say a thousand miles below the earth's crust without crossing over into the etheric realm, which requires a heightened consciousness as opposed to advanced technology. So you yes. want to just kind of elaborate on that. Well, it's a, it's a different vibrational frequency. And he constantly emphasizes the word vibrational frequency. So we're uh, living in a vibrational frequency that, you know, is repeats itself, shows itself. So we're sitting here in what we would know as ordinary reality. When the vibration begins to vibrate at a higher frequency, in other words, there's more vibration. It's, it's sort of akin to literally stepping out of this world, stepping out of this world and into another world, world with its own continuum, its own rules, whys, and wherefores. But it's a lot, I guess what you call it, a lot less restricting. Nevertheless, you, you still you know, follow the, the context because you have to have a context, otherwise you're lost or reference frame. So this is the whole key, is changing your vibrational frequency. And Radu explains it, it's like, he does it little by little. 
it's not like he just jumps in and sees everything. It's a slow, ongoing, initiatory process for him. And as they say, he disappeared from a long time, and then he came out, and he wrote uh, three, three books. This book, Forgotten Genesis, and The Etheric Crystal. So, and he's supposed to come out with another one. So he he's had experiences, and I think the most one of the most riveting experiences when he goes in and he meets somebody from Shambhala or higher guidance, and he, and, and he's beginning to broach Shambhala, which is the eternal, you know, city of peace and harmony. And it's a real place. And then we learn that his mentors have been there. Caesar has been there. His alchemist friend, Eleanor, has been there. But he's not, so far, he's not been allowed to go there. He's been allowed to see it, get pretty close to it, because he's not ready to go there. It's a slow process of initiation. But what's interesting about this book, it's an initiation into the idea of Shambhala the inner earth, the Rosicrucians have a acronym called vitriol. Vitriol is, of course, the elixir, the alchemist's elixir, and it's on the tomb of Christian Rosenkreuz. And it says, but what vitriol stands for is visit the interior of the earth, and by rectification thou shalt find the hidden stone. So this is the theme of Rosicrucians, visit the interior of the earth, and by rectification thou shalt find the hidden stone, which is the philosopher's stone. In other words, the secrets are in the inner earth. And all of a sudden, this book reveals more about the inner earth than anything I've ever seen. It's an initiation. And of course, the Rosicrucians, Christian Rosenkreuz, teaches the alchemical marriage, which is the unification of the, you know, yin and the yang, basically. So you're having, you know, balance and harmony. And one is seeking that. It's sort of like, what is heaven? Heaven is a balance. It's peace, because you have balance between yin and yang. Shambhala is, is perhaps a much more harmonious and exotic description than we often get of heaven, which is kind of watered down most of the imaginary, you know, angels playing with harps or something and looking down on humanity. Uh, but the Shambhala is, is, is much more exotic, if you will, and positive. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, one of the themes in the book that the closer you get to this inner sun, the more refined the consciousness is that you're not able to get closer and closer to the deep interior of the earth unless your frequency raises sufficiently and of course shambhala is the of of the inner cities it's the one that's closest to to this kind of inner sun and i know that the other cities that were described in the book uh, apelos and uh, tomasus that they have this kind of understanding of shambhala playing this kind of role of being spiritually very elevated almost like a heaven um inside the earth so uh yeah that's that is kind of fascinating that 
in a way, book five is a, is a roadmap for how we as individuals can elevate our consciousness and go deeper and deeper, you know, not only in terms of the story of the book, in terms of you know, going through these, these inner cities and you know, what is that Shambhala, and I think there's a city just very close to it that Radul gets to where he can see Shambhala, but that's about all he can do. But it's also kind of a metaphor for our own inner, inner journey as well. Uh, completely, and very well said. And, and this is perhaps the most exciting thing about the whole, the whole book series. It's like, it, it lives, the book is, the whole book series is if it was written by the Solomonari themselves, those, those beings that initiate, take people into the inner earth and initiate them. So the Solomonari are never mentioned in these books unless it's by myself. But it's like, yes, they, they don't have to mention it because they are doing the work. They're, they're teaching people about the inner earth. They're giving them concepts and in a way inviting them downward, in, inward, I should say, to, you know, it's an outgrowth and it's, it's a time on this planet of all truth being revealed. And, and this is just one iteration of the truth, but a, a certainly a, a very interesting and, and exciting one that I'm glad to be a part of. Uh, so this this is it, it, it. It's probably for me was the most incredible of the books because it's just like wow. Well, look at all the detail here. Look at all the detail. Look at all this stuff that if he was making it all up, he did better than a good job. Yeah, it's just an incredible book. Um, and the way it integrates all of the inner earth theories, because you've got, in a way, the honeycomb earth is represented in terms of that thousand miles or so just immediately beneath the, the surface of, of earth, where it's just filled with all these caverns and giant cavities, where you have civilizations and underground oceans and habitats just flourishing. Um, and then as you go deeper, as you penetrate deeper, beyond that kind of boundary between the physical earth and the etheric earth, which is around that 1,000 mile depth, then, then you get you encounter kind of like the hollow earth, where in the very center is this sun. And yeah, so you, you get all of the explanations about the inner earth that have been offered over the, over the last 150 years or so are integrated in this book. Yeah, he did, he did a very good job in this regard. And, and you can only, and then, then some of the science that is supplied to him by his mentor, Caesar, or uh, the Lama, they're very explaining. Like they have very fundamental understanding of the way things work. Uh, it would be very hard for a creative author to make that stuff up. You know, no matter, because if he's creative, he's, he's tapping into a, a virtual intelligence or a spiritual intelligence that's really telling him these things. So it's, um, wow, these are, these are fantastic experiences. And, and, as, and as you said, it, it gives a, a, a really logical explanation for why scientists are totally wrong about the inner earth being this kind of like solid molten core, that in fact, it's a hollow core with a, a singularity point. And, um, I, I know that 
this is something that alternative scientists such as Nassim Haramein talk about as well, that at the, the inside of the sun and of the earth are the singularity points. And he says that singularity points also microcos uh, microcosmic, that they can be inside of protons as well. So yeah, this again, it's just, uh, there's, there's the conventional physics and geology just doesn't go deep enough in terms of understanding the possibilities of say uh, singularity points and how they can how they can form um, in planets, suns, and even within protons themselves. Well, exactly. He says that yeah, every atom inside is is a is a black hole, so to speak, and we're only as a civilization learning to understand and appreciate this, and even the corridors of academics are opening more and more to these ideas. Um, but the question all becomes, what, what can they or what can anyone do with it? And, and that, that become, that's the challenge for the reader. What can you do with the information? Uh, how can you uh, grow? so on and so forth. And there, well, that, that gets into the later books is the struggle between the negative forces in the world, the anti-consciousness, you know, the, the, you know, the people that want everybody on drugs and all that sort of thing. And, and that becomes the war that is taking place on earth. But it's not, it's not like a visible opponents like Democrats and Republicans. It's not like that, where you can see both the opponents. It's much more subtle than that. And, and that's, and, and this only kind of invites us to understand what we're, what awaits us. And it's, it is somewhat similar to the, I, the original ideas that originated Christianity, the Vesica Pisces being a symbol showing two worlds interlocking. That's like showing there's another dimension out here. There's a dimension of love. There's a world of love and accept this, the kingdom. And, and that was a theme where it was based on love and then it gets distorted into you know, martyrdom and torture and all sorts of horrible denial of, of the physical plane in, in the early Christian era. So, but there was that idea that there's another world that is based on love and compassion, which is they say very similar to the, the first precept in the secret parchment. And that's what these, these characters in the book are above having wars. This is not something they would do. No more than you would have a war with the local grocer or the local owner of the deli. You know, you're not going to have a war with him. You know, I mean, you might be angry that he shortchanged you or something, but all these things can be, you know, He'll give you your money back just to avoid a problem. You know, it's like they don't have wars in the inner earth. It's beneath them. Well, it is a definitely a profound series. And certainly I, I have read the, the final books in the series, books six and seven, and they do continue this tradition of just revealing some uh, mind-expanding information. They're definitely... 
I would love to have you back to talk about books six and seven. But just to bring this interview to a close, uh, I mean, you've already mentioned your your coming trip to Romania to the to the Valley of the Golden Thrones, and I assume that part of your work there or your travel there is motivated to kind of substantiate stuff that you've come across in the series, especially in, in book four, where it talks about this valley of the golden thrones. Is that what's motivating you or, or just preparing not, for no, future events? Not, not, not actually, it, but see what's interesting. And Radu even stated to me in a, in an email once he said, I'd asked him about certain things and he says, all this stuff dovetails together. It dovetails together. What my current uh, adventure to Romania has to do with uh, David Anderson's sighting of Chaklavina Cave as being the most important and significant area with regards to uh, release of space-time mode of force, meaning it's a center of time travel. And it could very be, very well be very close to this location that I've talked about of this golden bed or golden thrones. But I'm sure it's connected. But so it's an experience. But here, this is my deepest foray into the inner earth is through this cave because I, I got into the cave uh, last time three years ago. And now I'm going back now that COVID's over, I will probably get into the dry cave, which I can go yet deeper. And I won't have to be going through rushing water. So it's uh, and there's more interesting things in there. But it's as you go in, it's all an initiation. If I find anything that corroborates this, it's incidental. It's very interesting. I'm not trying to say this, that, and the other thing because it's, it's too hard. It's too hard to do. But, it, but if I, I did meet somebody who I was convinced did meet Radu, who had been in the area, in another area, I don't know that it was Radu he ran into, but when the way he described him and talked about him, I, it sounded authentic because he didn't identify himself as Radu. Uh, my friend pieced it together and he did match up with it. And, you know, that was sort of an interesting, uh, because if somebody who hangs around this area a lot can't be too fooled. You know, he sees a lot, you know, people, it's, it's a small, much more small world in Romania than it is in the United States, even though it's about the size of Texas. And some of the people I talk to, it become, it's in the esoteric faction becomes even a smaller world. So uh, it, it'll, it'll be interesting to see, uh, but it's like I'm motivated by my own journey takes me to Romania, all of which was facilitated, facilitated by Dr. David Anderson, but he's coming from another perspective of Radu, they complement each other. But if there was no uh, David Anderson, I never would have gone to Romania. And if there was no Montauk project, Romania would have never come to me. So uh, this book would never even have been published in Romania, if not for my book. Maybe it would have. And even in Romania, it's basically by the, many people consider it science fiction. So it can be dismissed. Oh, it's just science fiction. And many of my friends say, oh, uh, those books are, what do they say? It's written by a committee. It's written by a committee. They say this. I say, have you ever read the book? They go, no. They're told it's written by a committee. You know, by the Freemasons. Oh, it's written by a committee. 
I know this book is not written by a committee because I've read it several times. Radu has a distinct, distinct speaking style and it's approved by a committee of at least one, which would be Caesar, but it's not really, they, they say this in a, such a way as to dismiss it. Nevertheless, it's, and it, it sort of acts as a defense because, okay, it's this. And, and of course, people aren't as closed-minded in Romania as they are in America. Uh, closed-mindedness is more of an American trait than certainly a European trait. Well, Europe definitely has a long history, and uh, so I think they can appreciate the significance of uh, these buried sites or these uh, mys mysterious civilizations that various people talk about. So uh, in terms of getting the books and um, learning more about what you're publishing and editing and writing there at uh, Skybooks, uh, where, where do people go? Uh, www.skybooksusa.com, skybooksusa.com. Uh, when will this be aired? When will this particular episode be? Uh, probably uh, in about four days from now. Okay. Uh, Skybooks will be shut down when I leave for Romania on July uh, 30th. So if anybody wants to get their order service, it's going to have to be by the 20. 8th, 27th, 28th. And then if you put your orders in after that, they will be gotten to when Skybooks opens up on August 15th. So order the book. There's always a lot of book orders after I do a show with you. So I say, people, you will get your book, but if you order it, you know, they won't be delivered till the third week in August or shipped out till the third week in August, unless you get it in. 27, 28 July, but you will be serviced. And we do have all the books in stock now, which we had run out of some of them. Right now, they're all in stock. Perfect. So people can get the paperback and the Kindle editions of all of the seven books in the Transylvania that's, that's book correct. series. That's correct. Excellent. Well, we, we have both. <laughs> My wife and I have both the books and the uh, Kindle editions, and I definitely recommend people uh, get them and, and read them a couple of times, as Peter said. Uh, the second time you read them, there's just much more depth. And it is a personal transformation journey. I, I can vouch for that. I feel as though I've kind of grown as I've read these books. So I want to thank you, Peter, for being on the show and again, answering these questions about uh, the Transylvania book series. And I look forward to having you back again. I'm delighted. And I hope we can get you to Romania next summer. Thank you. You have been listening to ExoPolitics Today with Dr. Michael Sala. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe to this channel. Join or start a conversation in the comments. Take the time to explore the vast library of best-selling books, webinars, and podcasts by Dr. Sala. Visit exopoliticstoday.com.